Hey, peace. This is Brother Polite, and I just finished an interview with Hollywood Unlocked Uncensored. It was great, man. I really appreciate it. Everyone's undivided attention, and I know oftentimes they have different types of shows and different types of conversations, and I was glad to contribute a level of diversity to their platform by speaking about wealth, growing wealth as far as finance is concerned, relationships, and socio-political events in the community. So I want to salute them for even having that type of conversation on their platform, considering how large their platform is. What up, everybody? This is Jay Celine. This is Hollywood Unlocked Uncensored. And this is Melissa Ford, a.k.a. The Curve Queen. Boy Giovanni. Hold up. And we have our guest, Brother Polite, in the building. Yes. So I actually came to know who you were uh, through Metal World Peace, who's a mutual friend. Last time I saw you, you were bowling. I beat everybody. So in case those of you are wondering. <laughs> um, and then I had, uh, he had sent me the link to an interview that you did at the breakfast club. And I was just like, wow, cause mm-hmm. I had never heard of you before, but then I watched it. And anytime I see intelligent black people, I like to pay attention. I actually watched the whole thing and I watched it again today so I could get refreshed. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So tell the listeners who may have been living under a rock and not watching the hundreds and hundreds of videos and the books that you've written about who you are and like what your brand is about. Cool. I'm um, brother polite author of 90 plus books. And I do comparative studies on monotheistic religions in retrospect to them being influenced by cultures of antiquity, in addition to expounding on economics as well as holistic health. Uh, it transmigrated from me doing lectures nationwide to world over to taking on more uh, intimate settings and in uh, individually and exclusively mentoring people. And the mentoring transcended into management. Mm. So I saw that you, it said that you were a celebrity mentor. So now you manage celebrities as well? Well, what happened was I wanted to leverage the relationships I had with a lot of the celebrities because I'll be asked to uh, help them with their diet or come up with some creative means to grow wealth. And then sometimes I'll just be invited to just hang out or to be smart. And mm. I wanted to find a way to be able to monetize the relationships because, you know, your network is your net worth. So it stops at the mentorship. So I then begin to think maybe uh, with all the talented people that I know that's not on, I can kind of leverage the relationships mm. I've created with people who have influence. Mm. And when they say polite, you know, um, if you ever need a favor, you need a salad. Like maybe I could get somebody to do a track with somebody or, Got you it. know, not necessarily money, just relationship based yeah, that's deep. opportunities. That's yeah. So one of the, one of the, uh, I think I've been okay with monetizing my relationships. I'm not the best because I know everybody, but I just, I don't really know how to manage all that. So how do you keep all of the relationships managed? Okay. Which relationships in particular? My personal relationship? Well, we're going to get to the personal. (laughs) I I, uh, actually saw you on a video. I got a lot of questions asked. Okay. So uh, in the business world, so like relationships. So for example, I know one of the owners of the Lakers. I know the Lakers. I know. So, but I don't never call any of them. Do you call all your people all the time? Like, how do you manage everybody that you know? Well, it, it depends on what it is that's required of me. But uh, I've also found a great opportunity in connecting people together. So from me understanding what you do and understand, like, you may do, deal with radio. And then I may talk to someone who has an amazing product mm-hmm. but lacks the opportunity to get their voice out there and you may have an interest in that particular product unbeknown to you. There's a person there who y'all can find something that's mutually beneficial to embark Mm. upon. So what I would do is just use my network, create the opportunity. And then when it unfolds or it materializes people to say, you know what, 
Uh, how did y'all put that together? Oh, I met, Brother Polite did that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes I get PC from the situation, you know? Mm-hmm. It, so it works out. Or if it's a movie situation, I know someone who does screenplays and someone who's a director, and I put them together and they do a project. Perhaps I could get my daughter in the film. So mm-hmm. it's not always money. It's opportunity wow. that, that makes the most sense. We need more of that. Well, I think most of the stuff started happening for me when I stopped looking at every transaction having to come with a check. That's a because fact. Because, you know, when I first got to Hollywood, I felt like people were just using me. Like, because I knew everybody. It was, mm-hmm. oh, can you call Chris Brown? Can you call Ms. Ford? Can mm-hmm. you call? And then I would just call people. And then I started getting bitter. So I was like, I ain't calling shit unless I get a check. I've yeah. been there. <laughs> I've been but there. But so totally. how do you get past that to saying, okay, I'm just going to keep putting it together? Well, I've, I learned I have to also multitask. So, Rather than marginalize myself to just being a lecturer, I took on debates. So in the same way, instead of just being a writer or author of my own books, I started ghostwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped Meta World Peace in some projects overseas and uh, in the country. Uh, football players like Ramsey Barton won the Super Bowl with the Giants, Miss Black California. You know, um, so what I wound up doing is saying, hey, I know I write books, but if I had to write a screenplay, I'm going to have to educate myself. You know, I'm autodidactic, so I don't necessarily need the convention of a classroom for me to be taught. I can mm-hmm. sit down and I have the discipline to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't always doing book projects for people, mm-hmm. but when the opportunity presented itself, I had to ask myself if it's within my capacity based on my skill set. So writing can encompass any of a number of things. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we may only know our one talent. Like you may be a rapper and never considered writing for other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just learning the how multifaceted one talent can be. Mm-hmm. And then that way, rather than saying, man, this is the only thing that I brought to the table, mm-hmm. you can hear something and what someone else is saying and saying, you know what, rather than put them on to someone else, maybe I can dig within myself and become that as well. And that's how I've been able to use my relationships with people mm-hmm. monetize it. So today when I was getting ready for the show, I had to do some research because I had seen the one video and, and usually we come, we turn on the mics and we just have the most reckless conversation in the world. But I was yeah. like, there ain't no way in hell yeah. we don't have somebody this smart on the show. Yeah, he was in group chat. He was like, no, yeah. no cooning. Yeah, no cooning today. We're going to let one interview yes. go by without cooning. We don't have to ask <laughs> This is a great day for, for Miss Mel over here because she's the fact finder here. She's the one that's using all the words that no one can spell. Oh, but he got so, some big no, words. I, no, 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 no. He, so he is, just said autodidactic and he heard me just exhale. Was like, <laughs> I was like... <laughs> first, first of all, uh, we're filming this interview so I can go back and understand what we talk about later because I'm not going to have a clue. Okay, you know that when I was getting ready, so as I was getting ready, I put the computer down to start getting ready. And the, you sound like Jay Z. Do people tell you that you sound like? Jay- yeah, they say my cadence a lot. Of times. I was like, hold on, Jay Z. I didn't even hit it until right now. Shit, I'm sorry. He used another one. It's one of my favorite words. Like, okay, so now I have to, I have to geek out for a second. I was going to say, clean the puddle up because he has four wives already. Listen, okay, I can. Appreciate the man and how okay. intelligent he is without, yeah. you know, just putting a wet spot on my chair. So listen, so I have, so I just have, I have a question for you because you have such an extensive vocabulary. I mean, that's an understatement. I mean, do you like, you, you must really, did you like read the dictionary or something? Cause I used to do that when I was a kid, I was a total geek. I used to love to read the dictionary and thesaurus because I had just such an appreciation and love for words, you know, and it just... Well, just, my ex did that and was still stupid. So did you read the dictionary? <laughs> well, um, to an extent, the mm-hmm. dictionary I was interested in is the etymological dictionary. Uh, yes. I like to find the origin of words. Like, for instance, you look up the word nice, and <laughs> etymologically, the word nice means ignorant. So then I asked myself, how did the meaning transmigrate to ignorant? 
from ignorance to something that seems pretty uh, positive. And you come to find that in the past, right, people, if someone did something good for you mm-hmm. and you didn't understand why they did something good for you, then that was the epitome of nice. You was ignorant of why they're doing something good for you. Your mother may do something for you. You say, that's my mother. Your best friend may do something for you. That's your best friend. But if someone does something philanthropy and you're the benefactor and you have no idea why, then that was an instance of nice because you're totally oblivious to why they did that for you. And that's where that word comes from. So I just like the history of words because I believe that words, of course, have a connotation. They have some kind of resonant frequency. They impact us. And I always wonder if the word in its inception, its intention, when it was created, does it afflict or empower us based on the people who put it together first? That's powerful. You know, so I always wonder about this. So I'm very uh, critical about the words we use. Like, for instance, we in our culture, we say, what's cracking, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's popping? Mm-hmm. You know, we say, my nigga, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be a slave master phraseology for the most part, right? right. It, it's in our DNA when we hear my nigga. It's a part of us that cringes as well, mm-hmm. as feels like it's a term of endearment. And so when I contemplate on these matters, I then look at other world cultures. And they may say salam alaikum, they may say shalom or masalam. They invoke peace from the time they see each other for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And I see how progressive they are as a community. So then I say, dang, I wonder if we're not invoking something positive but provoking something negative. Because the first time we see each other, something's probably cracking or something's probably popping. But the second other cultures see each other, they wish each other peace immediately. Mm-hmm. And I see they appear to be way more progressive than my people. So I decided to change the invocation or my communication from the time I first see you. So uh, I, there's a lot of criticism around the Black Lives Matter movement. I was a part of the Trayvon Martin campaign, led that with Sabrina Fulton years ago. Since then, we've seen many Trayvon Martins happen. Um, and then there's been this whole controversy. One of our partner sponsors, Floyd Mayweather, said all lives matter, and the internet went fire. This <laughs> went, just went crazy. <laughs> what is your view on Black Lives Matter versus all lives matter, independently and collectively in a conversation? Well, I was criticized for agreeing with Floyd Mayweather. Okay. But I always make it clear I'm not quite sure where he comes from with it. But when I look at people like a Floyd based on what I do know from the narrative of the stories that's told about him and his parents and the white man who interceded and helped him develop his skill set or went there along the way when his uncle couldn't handle him or his father couldn't handle him and then his uncle couldn't handle him again. But that white man helped him season his uh, talent. And then there's Mike Tyson who had his white trainer, right? Mm -hmm. And so I know living in the hood, I was raised on the white man's the devil. That's what I was raised on. Mm. And... As that, I, that's how you were. That's that was the foundation of your belief. Well, I had three foundations. My father, when he was in my life, he was a firstborn of five percenter, and he was so he was a black Muslim, and the white man was a devil. The black man is the cream of the universe. That's what we know. And then my uh, mother's side. I didn't know my mother. She died the week I met her when I turned seventeen. But my mother side was Sunni Muslim. And then my grandmother, who sent me to Holy Rosary Catholic School, obviously was in Catholicism. So I had three gods. Wow. Remained poor mm-hmm. throughout the course of all three of them. Mm-hmm. So neither one of the three was responding to the situation. <laughs> Probably was wow. praying wrong. But uh, whatever the case may be, I know from being in the hood, the conflict that arises from having people not of your ethnicity imposing or enforcing policy. Mm-hmm. They don't have a sense of our culture or our paradigm. And so the conflict is there and reservations are created. And so maybe not all police are bad, 
but it's just a bad scenario for people that are not part of the community or represent the demographic of that community to enforce policy. And thus, they came off as the devil to me. And then being locked up, I was in shelters, juvenile detention facility, Rikers Island for murder and everything. So the white people in there obviously came off to me as the devil as well. So it reinforced the conviction of those teachings. So I was more inclined to believe in those teachings. As I began to grow wealth and started to travel the world, I started to experience situations and I tried my best to deny the fact that I was meeting people of other races that were very positive and didn't fit the mold of the devil. And I started meeting black people that started fitting the mold of the devil. You know what I'm saying? So I was was trying my best to resist it. But eventually I had a revelation onto my people and they said I was cooning. Right? So we go back to Floyd Mayweather and I say that the people who are from the black community who have gained a great deal of wealth who may take on a perspective that all lives matter. I don't believe they say it to be combative to what black lives matters mean. I know black lives matter is more socially, politically based. But when people say all lives matter, I don't think they're in combat or in conflict against the political movement of black lives Mm -hmm. that are being senselessly killed. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's against it. I think it's a proposition that outside of the context of what we deal with in our diaspora here in America, there's the bigger picture as well that you know what? There's people that's going to do right by you. And we don't want to undermine any life at that particular point. Like if all lives didn't matter, we wouldn't be upset if Trump got into office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His life matters Mm -hmm. because the things he does impacts everybody in America. So, and then I look at it on another level that the celebrities that say all lives matter, you got to look into their world and realize white people have played integral roles in their development or in their growth or in their edification. How do you deny a person who has been positively impacted by someone of another race? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you tell them that despite their influence, despite their contribution for the positive, that you need to disregard that and be mm-hmm. exclusively black? Like, And why do... Why do I have to be anti-white to be pro-black? Well, it's almost like right now, Floyd is friends with Donald Trump. They've been friends for years before he decided he was going to run for office and before he said all this stuff. And so I think, you know, because I have a personal relationship with Floyd, I understand that. But to the outside world, people feel like any of us, and you, me, Melissa, any of us, Gio, any of us go to the White House and try to get involved with politics, even if our intention is to do Good, good for our, our communities, communities yeah. we're cooning. Mm-hmm. Is, what do you think about that? Uh, it's, it's just a social double standard that's created by people, mostly in part from impoverished communities. It's, it's a poor mentality concept. You don't have to be poor to have a poor mentality. You know, I'm not picking true. on people that have less of money, but a lot of these generalizations and concepts come from people who don't travel. Like if I were to ask somebody, what's the opposite of blue? What color would you say if we had to come up with a color? Opposite of blue? Yeah, if we had to come up with a color. Opposite of color of blue? Yeah. I would say red. I would say oh, red, too. Say red, right? Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about. I wasn't of, thinking of bloods nah, and crips. No problem. Okay. Of course. Because <laughs> I know you're a crip. Where a crip is a crip. I don't know. Once you Can you ever stop being a crip once you're a crip? I think you could not be banging. Okay. Right. You know, I'm not banging. I'm not, I'm not a banger. Okay. I'm not that. But, but I got a question. Yeah. Why did the crip cross the road? Because. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? <laughs> Today's show involves no cooning. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, <laughs> I can't. So, no, because my friend behind you, he's white. I think he's white. I don't know he's Australian. But he invited us. <laughs> Melissa and I, we went to Japan. Yes. And we went to his family owns a resort in Japan, which I never even fucking thought I would go to a ski resort anywhere, but let alone in Japan. Mm-hmm. But as you travel and as you do expose, get exposed to other cultures and just, you know, traveling through a country where nothing is English, mm-hmm. you know, or nobody speaks English. It's mm-hmm. like it's it does force you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> and, to, this, and this is the point I was making, because if we ask what's the opposite of a cat, we would naturally say a dog. A dog. Mm-hmm. I ask what's the opposite of blue. We here would have an inclination to say red, but there's really no logic behind it other than the proposition of opposition. Mm-hmm. And we learn later on that there really is no opposites, just things varying in degrees on a pole. There's no such thing as the opposite of 85 degrees. But if 85 degrees appeared to be in conflict with another temperature in our community, we then would come up with something like we would say the opposite of hot is opposite, opposite of hot is cold. But if I were to ask what's the opposite of a giraffe, then we would go blank. Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying? Because we don't That's see true. it in our community. Mm-hmm. We don't see a conflict between the giraffe and something else in the community to make those opposing fields. So for us, we may say the opposite of black is white. And mm-hmm. that makes perfect sense, depending mm-hmm. on the community you come from here in America. Mm-hmm. But as you travel the world and you experience different people, that thing that we call opposing fields, we realize it's just varying degrees in the pole. And these are all illusions. So you can only go, I mean, there is a left technically because it's personal. So left belongs to me on this arm. Mm-hmm. But if I was to tell you, come out the train station, make a left and walk down two blocks and you didn't find me, it would be a matter of my left because personally, I have to make this make sense. But outside of my body, my up is someone else's down. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Like we're on the floor, but this is someone else's ceiling. Perception. So we, we, we have to make it personal for it mm-hmm. to make sense. But if mm-hmm. we was to take ourselves outside our body mm-hmm. and just see things for what it is, we wouldn't be upset if somebody was friends with somebody else. Because mm-hmm. we could just understand and appreciate the fact that this is a circumstance that exists outside of what we immediately experience day to day. So these op- the opposites and the opposition is just illusion. So we joke on this show a lot about Giovanni's in a relationship, but he doesn't have much sex. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's by his own choosing. But he's in a relationship. And I always ask, like, would you give your girl They're a hall buddies. pass? Would you have a hall pass? You don't need a hall pass because you, you own the hallway. So let's talk about this. So you're you're known as being a polygamist, right? Yeah, or polygyny more specifically. Okay, now, are you actually married to four women? Like, ceremonial? Like, not, not under American law, because that would be bigger. Because it would be illegal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, but I have contracts with each one of the sisters that I'm in a relationship with. Would those be considered prenups? Concubines? Uh, to, to that extent. And, and I will, we just believe, if I decide to get into a serious relationship with a sister then I would give her like in concept or form a dowry. So in the event we were to separate, I would already put my money where my mouth is and say, hey, if we separate, I'm interested and personally invested in making sure you was not an economic slave to me during the course of our relationship. Okay. I'm to make sure you have something. To break, break that shit wait, down. Wait, 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 wait. Let's slow down. Okay, so let's back up. Okay. All of your wives are gorgeous. I actually watched the video. I mean, I had to do some research. Like I said, yes. there was no way you're going to slide up in here and then me start to talking and I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so how did you meet all of your individual wives? And what is the courting process for onboarding a new wife? Like, can you be in line at United and you meet somebody and then she's the <laughs> fifth one? Or how does this work? I have, And I have to piggyback off that question. Are the wives involved in the courtship process? Like, do well, they have say in... Well, yeah, I like that one. And okay, well, that's sure. the interesting thing. Yeah. I, I do have a say, but they have most to say because it's children involved. So okay. I can't decide I'm going to bring somebody in the house with people that I've been with for years 
and I have the only say. I have to make sure the chemistry is right. So they have the final vote if the woman could be there. So when you first decided, because Floyd Mayweather is, um, what is the word? It's not polygamous, but what uh, is it? I would say polygynous. He's a polygynous. Okay, so <laughs> he has his he has his harem, and we've interviewed him here, and he's ex- described that. And I actually saw your, you did a video on YouTube where all of you were in the video together, and I text Floyd this morning, I said, I got to get you and all your people. <laughs> we need to get that. Okay, so how does this work? So how did you meet the first one, and then did you already have in your mind that you were going to have more than one? Well, the first wife I've been with is Aminette right here. I've been with her for 19 years. We've been together since 12, 13 years old. I'm 33 wow. now. Okay. Wow. Um, so we've been together for most of half my life, of course, okay. and both our half our lives. So um, long story short, I was locked up. and came home from prison and yet again. And she was like, look, I can't make you what you make on these streets, but I believe that you have a potential and something about you that can get us both out of the situation. I believe the world needs you, mm. and you don't see it. So naturally, I'm looking at her like, what happened in between the time I was locked up? Because she was had the neck moving and the eyes rolling and permed hair and all that. She did everything that they do, right, when you're in the hood. So I was kind of looking at her like, what happened? Mm. And she was just like, yo, listen, I got a lot of confidence in your mind, more than you have in yourself, and I believe there's something about you you don't know about yourself. So she said, I work two jobs. I'm willing to give you one check. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to just buy you book after book after book. I've been outside asking people what's a good book for my man to read. So I got a bunch of different authors, you know, like Dr. Ben and uh, John Henry Clark and different people. She's like, Look, I got a, a bunch of authors that um, I want you to just look through. And whenever you find yourself and you find our way out, uh, I'll see you through. Until which time, I'm going to give you one of my checks. And if you need some of the other check, I'll give it to you. So I'm looking at her like she wilding. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm like, you You just want me to stop hustling. Because them checks ain't going to do nothing for mm-hmm. me. I was dying mm-hmm. for them first two months. But I did it. And I found myself. She made me conscious. She's just, she's the reason I even started reading and studying. She forced me to. I didn't want to lose her because mm-hmm. she was going to leave me. Wow. And I didn't want to lose her. So I had to read or she'll leave. Wow. So I chose to read. That mm. is the dopest and so then, story. And so then... After she did that investment and then you found yourself wanting another woman, how did that? Oh, no, nah, it didn't happen. Like, she wouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have read books for six months and okay. said it's time for another woman. <laughs> that came some years down the line. But um, we wound up growing into uh, our, our new perspective and thought and making change in the way we eat and drink. And eventually I wound up making soap, lotion, deodorant, hair grease, body spray, and even my own pampers. And for everything that I thought was wrong with other products, like the Pampers cause asthma that a lot of us use. I start creating my own Pampers by hand. And, of course, a lot of the makeup or cosmetics has what's called phthalates in it, right? And those are like metals that seep into the pores of the skin. And, like, if you look at prostitutes that's constantly wearing makeup, over years you see their skin kind of being brought down because the metals, in conjunction with gravity, starts pulling down on their face, literally. So I started making alternative uh, um soaps and products and I would go on a train and teach for X amount of seconds. I would memorize how many seconds it takes to get from Bowling Green to Wall Street. The train the, in, in New York. In New York, in New York City. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um and I used to I used to go in and then I taught her how to do it and we was doubling up and eventually we created it. We got a bookstore and I would fill up the store with all of my own soaps, lotions to get deodorants and hair greases. And then I said, well I'm gonna put books here. But I wanna put books here that I totally agree with. So I'm like, I gotta learn how to write. So I came out of the newspaper first. And time we wanted to make a child, but I became very meticulous in the things that I was reading, you know, like Claude Anderson, Powernomics book. I was really starting to get into the economic aspect of things and saying, damn, my parents didn't really plan the way they could have planned 
no knock to them. We use whatever information is accessible to us at that time. Mm. But I said I didn't want to repeat the process, and we was talking about making a child. And mm. that's when we started talking about polygyny because mm. we understand that wealth begins wealth begins at $150,000 a year, and we should be able to invest at least one-third of our wealth, which would put us at a 50 grand marker. But we understand poverty begins for a family of four at $32,000 a year and for an individual at $15,000 a year. So we understood we was in poverty, actually. We actually understood we was in poverty. And we knew we had a 100-plus thousand hike to get to the point of wealth because the 5% is in wealth and economics are the people that have the ability to invest without hurting themselves at $150,000 a year. So having considered that, we was like, man, you and I combined still keeps us almost in poverty. So it's like we have nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's when we started to factor in all the possibility of polygyny. And if we brought another sister in and maybe we could fulfill her goals, there can be some reciprocity because we wanted to make a child, but we did not want to make a child in poverty. So are they, so you would but okay. So how does this contract, contract work? Because we asked the question of a hall pass. Do, there's no hall passes in your house. Uh, nah, we it's, it's just straight up. The contract works as follows. If if we decide that it's serious, because it still would be a court and process, and for the duration of time in which we decide, okay, you know what, we, this process is met its maturation, we want to really get serious, then that's when a contract could be drawn up, and I will have something that I could give off. Like, she owns uh, 65% of my publishings. Mm. So no matter what happens, if we break up with the 90-plus books that I've written and any other books I wrote for other people, She's always going to own that percentage, and we've decided that that does pretty good by her. So, so in your so in your home, you all live together. You're one family. Uh, we we could we do, uh, but everyone has their own home, really, and their own business. Every woman. Interesting. We are fascinated. It, it wouldn't be right here. if I couldn't do it. Jason's trying to take notes on oh, the low I'm, the, the as to notes how. <laughs> I wish. Okay, so do you ever? Um, and I know we're being personal, but do it's you, not a problem. Okay. Once you get as personal do, as possible, do you all ever have group sexual encounters? Um, I ventured off into that. Okay, and and but you're because one thing I I, I think that is amazing about watching your wives interact is they all seem to get along. Yes. Sir. How do you manage that? <laughs> you say yeah. yes, sir. Well, it's, it's a family. So just like people say, man, y'all don't, they don't get jealous. And I'm like, do brothers and sisters get jealous? Siblings, you know, do Sometimes, fathers yeah. get jealous when their children embrace other people that are kind of like parent figures? Mm-hmm. It's a human trait. Yeah. You mm-hmm. feel me? So the first thing we have to establish is the fact that jealousy is normal. Mm. And once wow. we come to terms with that, it'll, it'll work itself out. Y'all gonna hear me saying these. Y'all gonna hear me saying these, these aren't even lines. These are now Yo, my new. Can beliefs. I ask you a question? What's a, okay? Let's just talk about like what's a, like in the household. What's an argument look like? Are you? It seems like you're so calm. Like, do you have a way of First like, of all, these big ass words, he gonna talk to you out of being mad. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, what's like, an argument like with Brother uh, Polite? Uh, they called me a lawyer, and I don't need a lawyer. Because you have sex, <laughs> you be having states, and you, because you, you, it's no, it's no arguing with you. Like, you can't, I can't talk you down. Well, I tell you this, uh, having so many uh, wives or female counterparts or significant others, it's the reason why I'm real good at doing debates. Because they challenge me. <laughs> yes. Closing deals. And, um, but it, it keeps me disciplined because um, you can't go into another room and say, I'm just going to have a conversation and sneak and have sex and come out and act like you're not having sex. Like, you can only play that game for so long before it's like, like, we know what you're doing, right? So you have to be disciplined. So, okay, so I was looking online and reading everything I can and listening to everything I can. And we always know there's two sides to your story. Mm -hmm. So a long time ago, Melissa, I remember being in your apartment in New York. And you said to me that the way that a person can 
um, take away the legitimacy in any woman by, is by calling them a hoe. Yeah. And f- to take away the legitimacy of a man is to call him a, a fraud. fraud. So you've had your ba- debates online or your, because I saw there's different videos of you online. Mm-hmm. You either are speaking today very calm and very uh, intellectually just... The savagery is just yeah. really amazing. Or he's at the corner of 34th and 7th. And like, you just... are just Malcolm Xing it down. <laughs> yes. Okay. So there's this video I ran across with this guy named Prophet. You know who that is? Prophet. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Pro- you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So is, is did he just prophet of God? It? No, I don't know what he's a prophet I'm of. I'm just saying. So what was the conflict? Meant, what what was the conflict where they were saying that you were scamming them? And because the, the conversation, I'll, I, I'll be honest, it, the debate was so damn high brow for me that. I checked out about 15 minutes in. I said, I'm just going to ask him when he gets here at 3 o'clock. Well, um, I think it's a slave mentality. Well, of course, let me say this. Uh, when I first started coming up and I started em- employing other people to be part of my company, when they did wrong, the ills fell on me. And mm-hmm. it's something that they will never let me live up to this very day because mm-hmm. I had to eat those. I had to take the L's for anything that went wrong, like any other business. Well, you're the, yeah, you're the boss. Yeah, it's or the, like, the you know, creator. I can't say this person didn't mail the book out or this person didn't mail the DVD out. I have to take the L. Uh, since then, I grew and I've created a great opportunity and unfortunately had to use people that also had more uh, technical experience and even certification. Mm-hmm. When you first start, you try to do the pro-black thing, you put everybody on, you know, yeah. and then people see amounts of money they never saw before. Mm-hmm. As I grew far beyond I, my own imagination, I had to realize who wasn't doing the work in my growth to realize how much I grew, you know? So mm-hmm. I was content with the monies that they was turning over to me because mm-hmm. I didn't know how much my books were selling all over the world until I found out that I wasn't getting a lot of my money mm-hmm. wow. and I had to move those people out. And then separate from that, there's this thing with the slave mentality because- as a slave, you see that any Negro or nigger that has the slave masochism is food, is clothing, and is shelter. And if any black man has that, you can't really conceive that they got it outside of the convention of the white man giving it to them. And so what I find with my community, I wasn't really supposed to leave. I was supposed to stay in the projects, Brownsville Houses, with my wives and children, I was supposed to keep it real, probably buy a nice car and live in the hood with the nice car parked in front of the projects. Once I left, this thing became that I'm Illuminati, that I sacrificed one of my children uh, to become successful in Hollywood. And what I come to terms with is the fact that a lot of our people believe that if you're successful and you're black, you had to come with some kind of compromise, that you had to sell out, that you had to brown nose, that you had to kiss the white man's ass. They'll never give me the credit for what I've achieved in my own capacity. they never say, you know what? He's intelligent enough to do that good. They'll always find a loophole. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll always accredit it to somebody doing something for me because I had to do something wicked. They'll never say, you know what? This man understands tax liens. He understands tax mm-hmm. deeds. He understands annuities. He understands economics. He, they'll never accredit me for what I know. Yes. They'll always uh, work in an endeavor mm-hmm. to say there's some kind of conspiracy or somebody has given me an opportunity in exchange for my compromise. Well, that's what I was going to say, because all the videos I saw, there were all these different videos from different people. I really couldn't get the concrete, what is the issue? You know, it seemed like, it almost seemed like, because there was the video that you did where you were speaking out about what seemed to be a conspiracy. And we hear conspiracies, oh, it's conspiracy. Mm-hmm. But then when you look at all these different people that have this opinion, this really strong opinion about you, but there's no 
facts. Like yeah. I'm just like, what? What the yeah. hell did he do? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? It's also, the, I, I do you do. think that's a way of them trying to um, take away your legitimacy? That you kind of carved out this space that you're leading now. Do you think it's like people trying to just take that away or what? Yeah, well, I believe no great man or woman is without it. You know, when you look at Floyd, they'll say he can't read or he beats women. You look at Serena, they'll say she's really a man. You look at Jordan, they say he had gambling problems. He may have even been responsible for his father's death. Damn. You feel what I'm saying? It's like, true. Is, mm-hmm. I, you can't name somebody mm-hmm. that they don't attach yeah, something that's going to stick with you yeah. for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, you can do a million good things for somebody, but they're going to always remember the bad. It's always going to be always. bad. But, but, but to his point, what we're saying is it's not about remembering the bad. Because when I led the Trayvon Martin campaign, I had never sold T-shirts. So mm-hmm. I know what the fuck selling a T-shirt ain't tell. <laughs> mm-hmm. You print the motherfucker, you put it in a box, you mail it out. Yeah, no. First of all, I was mailing them in the wrong boxes. Mm-hmm. Then when I finally started to figure it out, there were so many orders coming in that mm-hmm. it was just... Hard to manage it all. I had somebody that I trusted to, to uh, manage it. I ain't going to say his name. Maddie, he's in Vegas. Fucked everything <laughs> up. And uh, just ruined it all, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I... So I took a little hit because mm-hmm. it was just like, you know, pe- person doesn't get their shirt. They paid their $30. You yeah. stole their money. So I, I feel like I was unclear as to what the conspiracy was. Look, like The biggest conspiracy is, and this well, my publicist and I, we struggle with this all the time. His name is Dennis Byron. Mm-hmm. Um, we sh- he would struggle with this all the time. I can show you one of his most recent texts. Polite, you got to stop showing out. You got to stop showing. Uh, what do you like, mean by showing out? Though? Well, like like the new car I got downstairs, my mm. I eight. You know, mm. I still have my ghost though. Nice. You know what I'm saying about that. But, um, yeah. Well, so say, but he, did they say stop showing out because then people will try to throw that spin on it that yeah, somehow he, there's some scamming going. He's, mm-hmm. he's into protecting me, but I'm like, there's no way I got a three hundred thousand dollar car. A hundred and fifty thousand dollar car and the Bentley I gave my daughter that I put suede all over. There's no, I mean, how many people would I have had to take from to get that? Right. In addition to me living in Beverly Hills mm-hmm. and having apartments that I rent out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 33. I, I come from. I, they say you act like you never had nothing before, and that's because I never did. Mm-hmm. That's why I behave mm-hmm. the way I behave. I'm behaving like someone who never had. Yeah, so, I watched. I so I was to cut you. I, I've watched a lot of the same interviews that Jason did, and um, you know, I was in. I was really intrigued to see your dialogue with Charlemagne, you know, because he just wrote his book, Black Privilege. And the themes inside of the book are very in line with a lot of, you know, your ideologies, you know. And so I was literally just sitting there with popcorn, just watching that interview take place because, you know, he's a very close personal friend of mine and and of Jason's. (laughs) Um, And so did you first question, did you get an opportunity to read his book? Yeah, I got his book. Okay, yeah, I'm sure. I had to get it the second it came out. Yeah. I yeah. missed him when he came to the Grove to do a signing. Yeah, so did I. So <laughs> did I. I had something else to do. But um, I've read the book, and it's fantastic. And you talk a lot about, you know, social responsibility, personal responsibility within the black community yeah. to not always just rely on, oh, the white man's keeping me down, et cetera, et cetera. It's one of the reasons they it, dislike me and call me a coon. Exactly. <laughs> that that part, part of the responsibility comes from within That's to right. not acknowledge, to not let, you know, the, you know, chains kind of like proverbial chains kind of hold you back from your own greatness. But you, you yourself have to recognize your own That's greatness right. and work for it. When, when yeah. I gave up, that ideology, and I understand, mm-hmm. I know the historicity of America. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done this. I can understand what non-blacks have done to black people. Mm-hmm. I understand what they, the crimes that they perpetrated against mm-hmm. our people. Mm-hmm. I educate my children on it. Mm-hmm. I tell them take into consideration. I have fair skepticism with anyone non-black mm-hmm. that uh, offers me opportunity because of the stigma of the history of America, mm-hmm. not because I want to be against them. However, I will not. Uh, share the same amount of skepticism for my brother or sister. 
And the reality is you embrace people based on how they contribute to your world. And everyone's in this and into proven guilty in my world. That's the conclusion that I've come up with mm. because experience has allotted to me a more profound point of view. Mm-hmm. And everyone doesn't share the same experiences, which is what I expressed to my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. I didn't leave the neighborhood and don't come back. I come. I, I'm loved in Brownsville where I'm from, mm-hmm. you know, and I do work in Baltimore. I get uh, gang members give out food, uh, vegan food at that. So it cost, you know, in New Jersey, the Hoovers, the Crips and Baltimore, the blood shout out to uh, Big Wolf and PFK mm-hmm. Boom. They, they put the pain in no matter who's there and mm-hmm. constantly feed the homeless out there. And so, because I come from gang culture, I feel that people restore their humanity when they help somebody that's conceiving a child mm-hmm. in freezing cold with no food. It kind of brings things back into perspective and you realize we shouldn't be killing each other. Yeah. There's right. people out here who have children with no jacket on and we're spending our money on guns to take away our life instead of putting money into people who are giving birth mm-hmm. and, and creating life opportunities. So uh, it's, it's the, the hardest thing I've ever had to go through was realizing I need to leave the community. It's mm-hmm. like, you damn if you do, you damn if you don't. If I stay there, they'd probably want to rob me. Mm-hmm. You know, they, oh, they'd be mm-hmm. jealous. They feel entitled to mm-hmm. what, what, I'm, what I got going on. But then when you leave, you know, it's like- You always yeah, sell you, out. You're selling out. Right. But mm-hmm. I'm saying, like, I, I can see the local drug dealer on the corner. And, and the dynamic of it all is so horrible that you, ha- you become friends with the situation, mm-hmm. you know? And then what I say is people have to walk past the pimp Walk past the prostitute, walk past the drug dealer, walk past those selling liquor and other forms of narcotics in the community to get on their computer and come to me a thousand miles away and say something to me on YouTube. But you walk past the criminal that you say you hate every day en route to your computer. Mm. But I understand it. You feel what I'm saying? Mm. It is cowardice. And it's it's also selective because Mm. the reality is this. You know, why would I want to raise my child? in an area where there's a higher probability of learning the things that I want to teach them against. Mm. You know, and they said, I made a statement and I said, you know, I don't want to live amongst the animals. And they said, you say, oh, your people are animals. I said, I ain't call my people animals. But I know where I'm from. I said, I don't know what neighborhood you're from. So pardon me. But where I'm from, we say we going to beast mode. Yes, you I feel know. what I'm saying? We call each other bitches, female dog. Nigga, I'll go ape. You feel what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you limit people on resources, you don't exactly need a college degree to survive. You got to rely on your animal instinct to survive. So I said, for the pedophiles in our community, you feel me? For the people senselessly killing each other, embarking upon a fratricidal war amongst each other, that's animal behavior. And I don't want my children to be subject to it and lose their faith in who we are as a people. I would like to separate them from that environment so they can have a fair contrast to what's transpiring so they don't believe that that is them. Because mm. when you're in that neighborhood for so long, you not only do you adopt the principles, you adopt the mentality. You become it. And then it's hard to separate yourself from it. I've taken a number of brothers out of that community, even brought them in my house and let them live with me out here. Most of them fail. Most of them want to go back in there. They think they want to be free. They think they want to grow wealth. They think they want to live in it's better f- neighborhoods. And they feel like a fish out of water it, when I bring them out is here. That, would you call that like a sense of like institutionalization? That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. I, I found more peace in prison in a lot of ways than I did mm. living in the hood. Yeah. Where, where I'm from in Brownsville, they, a few blocks away from my home, they created a prison for juveniles. Mm. And one day I wound up in it. I had to walk past that juvenile prison to go to school. 
Yeah. With the concept that one day I'm going to be in there and I wind up in there. Well, I mean, a lot of times. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pri- my pri- child in prisons there. are built around, you know, low level, lo- low reading levels. You of know, like they, they basically, you know, well, lack of education, chart? lack of access. Yeah. yeah. But you're it's like the, an- the anticipation that you're going to be a you're, you're right. a born criminal. Especially you know? when they build the prison yeah. in your neighborhood yeah. for you to walk by while you have to go to school. So, Why would I want to raise my child to so, see the future like yeah. that? Exactly. <laughs> so what do you think? So we've interviewed Floyd here, like I said earlier, uh, and he spoke on his uh, dislike for the word nigga. Yeah. And Oprah has talked about it. And it's been a big debatable topic among, you know, people in television and music. What is your thought on the use well, of the word nigga? I'll tell you this. I don't support it like I used to. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the responsiveness from the people. I will tell you, though, because I'm into etymology, mm-hmm. that all throughout the course of Africa, like even in the Bible, uh, they call Simon Bar, uh, Jesus, a nigger. We might say Niger or Niger, how we want to do it, but it's pronounced nigger, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Simon Bar, Jesus, brother, is called mm-hmm. a nigger in the Bible. Okay, I think it's book of Acts chapter 13, but that's another story. Then you have a country called Niger or mm-hmm. nigger, but they call it Niger, Niger, right? And if you go to Ethiopia, Queen. nigger is a title of nobility that denotes an Ethiopian sovereign. It's pronounced nigger. And so when white people came to colonize, they couldn't stand us niggers because we were kings. Niggers were kings. Yeah. They hated niggers. And they hated niggers so much that when they incapacitated us, when they subjugated us, it took on a negative connotation because they didn't like niggers. So they enslaved niggas. So the word- and so these niggas that were kings got on their nerves. So anytime they saw a black person, we reflected or demonstrated that sovereignty. And eventually, we now didn't like, we cringed at being called a nigger because the affliction associated with the terminology. Now, does this give us license to call each other nigger now? That's where I think the debate is, mm-hmm. if I understand the history of the word. But I understand in its colloquial meaning, as far as present day is concerned, it's a destructive term. Because yeah. we don't, we don't put the onus on each other to understand the history, the history of the word, of right. to know how it should resonate with us when it's said. Right. So I get it. But if we're going to go into the history, then I'm a real nigga. Most people it's in my genes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't know that that's the history. We were actually just talking about the word itself it. because it had been spray, paint, spray painted on LeBron's uh, L.A. home. I just saw that today. Yeah, and I was and I was talking about the word, you know, just because I, I love the fact that you're talking about etymology and just even just the sound of the word. It's the hard consonants, the N, the G, the R. You know, to hear the history of the word and it actually being a positive history just kind of negates the the feeling that that word even gives you because it's just it's it's so it's so just hard uh, on the ears no phonetically it's just so hard on the ears it's no different from the word black there was a point in history where black was considered Racist. to be derogatory yeah. mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to be called black there's a point we embrace negro now mm-hmm. you say negro and people kind of know you're saying you're saying something negative Colored. you feel <laughs> me but the ultimate problem is we've always allowed people to come up with the euphemisms that mm-hmm. lead us into the next generation we never have our own consensus and say, this is what we're going to be called. Nobody right. else allows anyone else to coin a term to be affixed to them. We do it. Then then after they call us nigga, then they're like, oh, we want to take it away from you. <laughs> they want to have meetings about how the word shouldn't be used. And I'm then, like, we use, then we make songs called niggas in Paris. Mm, so I don't know what the it's, fuck. It's, it's confusing, you know, but ultimately, like I said, 
we have to take control of the narrative. And in order to take control of the narrative, I believe we have to take control of our language or a language or create one like I did. Okay, so we have actually run out of time. Damn, man. Wait, no, no, we to do a part two. But let me say this. Yeah, we we've never interviewed anybody twice, but we'd like to. You should come yeah. back next week if yeah. you I'm can. With you. I'm yeah. with you. Like, and then let's, let's, we'll put it on calendar so we make sure you get here on time. Yeah. And, then, wanna, and, and then we'll yeah. make sure we dedicate the whole show because what I'm intrigued about is, you know, this show, we go from talking about ball gags and his anal beads and it's it's, <laughs> it's it's good to have it's good to have a well-balanced conversation because i really feel like you know why i quit the trayvon martin campaign was i looked at the lunacy of how we on one hand say it's wrong that you gun him down but then on the other hand unless it's unless it's a politicized opportunity for people to kind of elevate they don't care mm-hmm. and it, it was just to the point to where i was like then I don't care anymore, you yeah. know. So I'm like, wow. But That's I think there's happens. just so much more that we should talk about yes. if we could do it next week again. Yes, because I, I want to hear more about this language you said you created. But that oh, next show. that Thanks, I'm going to come back with scenarios about the wives. I want to know because oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think it's just I think you have a fascinating world yeah. and you've created your own language. So I want to hear about all yeah. that. As well. And this is the first time the whole room has just been right on the guests. Yes. And this is the first time that you haven't said anything ridiculous, by yes. the way. Yes, I have. I'm to proud of you, Gio. Actually, what? <laughs> Go to hell. <laughs> All right, so we're out of here. Bye, Bye. everybody. Thanks a lot.